Welcome to 832 Sips, a podcast where we talk about issues and challenges in education today. So grab a beverage of your choice and enjoy the conversation. <laughs> right on. Okay, today's guest is Nancy Smith. And Nancy, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. Well, like said, my name is Nancy Smith, and I met Curtis, Dean, and Mateo while attending grad studies at the University of Regina, where I'm a student. And uh, I live in Calgary. And a little bit about me. Um, So what's different about me is I'm actually a marketer. And I've been a marketer for 25 years. I've had a career in marketing in various roles. And um, it was about 10 years ago that I started instructing. So I'm an instructor at the University of Calgary and at Mount Royal University here in Calgary as well. And I teach marketing, communications, and social media classes. And um, yeah, I, I decided to pursue my grad studies just to enhance my, um, my ability to teach better and especially facilitating online. And uh, in addition, I, am, uh, I work at the city of Calgary and I lead their digital communications and their social media um, strategy and implementation, which is really great, I love that. And most importantly, I'm a mom to a great 14, almost 15-year-old. That's me. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nancy. Um, We're super excited to have you as our third guest on our podcast. Um, You just bring such a great perspective, and it's different than um, just talking to, to teachers. And I know it kind of feels, uh, fills us in and on how, you know, how we're using social media elsewhere and just the possibilities for it. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Right on. Um, okay. Well, uh, maybe just as a conversation starter. Um, so like you work with the, the city of Calgary and you said you do marketing. Um, so maybe Nancy, can you talk about um, maybe some of the ways that you think like technology can enhance like those positions with a focus on learning or, or whatever you think is interesting? Well, a big part of my role is communications and making sure that people have timely communications. And what we've noticed in the last five years is a massive switch uh, from how people consume media. So in the past, maybe we'd turn on the radio and television and wait for updates on the news at five o'clock or 11 o'clock or in the morning. And now people are conditioned to, you know, want the information when they want it and how they want it. And so they're turning to mediums like Facebook and Twitter, even Instagram, uh, to find out information that matters. So the city of Calgary really shifted, as did practically every organization, to, you know, providing the right message at the right time to the people who care. So that's something that I really care about is um, using social media effectively and and I don't, I don't think it really matters if it's in the classroom um, or for personal use. You know, we, we, we have all shifted to technology more and more every day. And how people tend to use it is, like, first and foremost to connect to friends and family. But um, I think also to learn. So, you know, I, I always find it amazing when I tell people about, um, you know, how, you know, they'll say, oh, I don't use social media. And I'm like, oh, do you ever watch videos on, on YouTube? And oh yeah, I watch videos on YouTube and I'm like, well, actually YouTube is considered social media and the number two search engine in the world is YouTube. So when you're searching something to learn how to fix a dripping tap or uh, how to stake a tomato plant as you're growing it this summer, um, you know, those are all things that people are trying to learn and um, 
YouTube has become an amazing resource, an open source resource for people to learn. Yeah, for sure. One thing that you kind of uh, mentioned on too was like kind of at the start there when you were talking about Instagram and, you know, Twitter and Facebook as mediums for us to kind of uh, learn more about the world around us. What I'm finding really interesting, I think you looked at it a little bit in our grad studies too, Nancy, is like how big TikTok has become and using Mm -hmm. that as a marketing tool and and especially um, and like we did a lot of talking about like not marketing towards kids and, and, and things like that. But, you know, like a platform like TikTok kind of find and you feel free to disagree with me, but I kind of find like that platform is made for teens and 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 youth to some degree. And that has a lot of potential for for marketing, I think. Yeah, there's no question. I know that. uh I think I started using TikTok. Well, I actually, what's interesting is, oh, here comes the ghost behind me, the dog. Uh, I started using Musical.ly, and mm-hmm. um, it was because of my son when he was 13. And uh, and then it morphed, of course, into and was bought out by TikTok. And so I've been on TikTok more as like just to try and figure it out. And over the last year, I think that it has significantly changed, especially in the last six months. So six months ago, I think the average age of a TikTok user was 14. And um, that was the stats out at Christmas. And I bet you if TikTok were to um, reveal, but they don't as commonly as Twitter or Facebook, their usage stats, I bet you the average age has increased to at least 19 or 20. Because um, I know you know how the algorithm works, but if your listeners don't know, what happens when you start watching videos on TikTok, um, and if you like a video they'll start serving you other videos like that. And one thing that I get served is all the people who say that they're over 30. And so all I see are dog videos and people over 30. But um, I think that you're totally right that um, some brands or some companies are using uh, TikTok really, really effectively. And the ones who will succeed are the ones who don't blatantly market to you, but more subtly talk about it. So lots of good examples. Like one, I think there's a lot of dermatologists out there or beauty companies that are talking about how to use their products or how to improve your skin if that's something you care about. Or for that matter, I follow um, a house cleaning company because obviously with the COVID crisis, my house cleaner, I loved and can't come anymore. So I've had to, I know, poor me, clean on my own. But they do how to do cleaning on TikTok. And they're like the best videos. Actually, they started on Instagram stories and have exploded in popularity. And this little Instagram account that had a thousand followers at Christmas now has 200,000 followers. And it's like a local Calgary company. Yeah, it's crazy, like the potential that TikTok has for marketing. And it's so insidious because like, we don't want to feel like we're, we're watching a commercial anymore, right? So like TikTok, it's just all embedded. Like you make a funny video or whatever. Um, like you said about the cleaning company, um, has anyone figured out how to use TikTok in the classroom? I really, I don't think there's any application. Like I can't figure it out. I can't figure out a way to actually use it to learn. Like it's more like just entertainment. What do you think, Nancy? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's interesting to see, I have seen more teachers on it and they use that, you know, a hashtag TikTok teacher, I think it really comes down to um, trying to connect with your students in a meaningful way. And for some, it's relatability, right? Like that's one of the superpowers of, of um, how we can connect to our students as instructors and teachers. 
And, you know, if they see us like, you know, whether it's super cringeworthy and, you know, they're kind of laughing at us, that's okay too. Cause I think that they almost think like, Oh, that's all right. As long as we're not creeping on them. Yeah. Um, but um, I've seen some teachers do some science experiments um, or demonstrating things or like how to solve a math equation on TikTok really effectively. Um, and I'm not saying that like my son is seeking those out, but I don't think he's probably, he, he doesn't scroll through too fast. I think if he saw something interesting. Yeah. I was reading some research the other day um, just related to what I'm doing, but I, I read that basically like, like kids between the age of 10 and 13, like by the, in that age range, by the time you get to the 13 year olds, like 75% of them are on Instagram. Um, and like they, they say like basically kids, you know, they're using it for entertainment to connect with friends, to watch funny videos, but there's not a lot of like, um, like learning applications. Although I really, I really agree with you when you, when you're talking about like just building a relationship with students and like using like say TikTok for that, like just to be out there and for them to see you. Cause if you don't have a good relationship, then I think it's hard to teach, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I think that kind of segues into, into the next question that you got there for C Curtis. Like, uh, you want to reach that perfect, one? Perfect. Before we get into that, I saw Dean unmute his mic about three or four times and he wasn't able yeah. to get a word in. Dean, did you have anything to add before we move on? Well, I was just going to say, in our class, right, Alex showed that video of that one teacher in Ontario, how she was connecting and doing her stretches and, and all that. I don't know, Mateo, you probably you were in part of the class, maybe you didn't see it, but there are a lot of teachers that are trying to, to tap into that and just, uh, you know, show a way to connect and to do that. But uh, I was going to ask Nancy kind of, and also preview a little bit of the debate we might have in the future. Um, you know, is it bad for kids to be able to do this? And the other thing, do you think if there's too many 30-year-olds on TikTok, will TikTok become passe like Twitter uh, for a younger generation? Or Facebook, like how it's just everybody's grandmother or whatever on Facebook now. And like, if you ask kids, they're like, oh, no, I don't use Facebook. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, not all. It's interesting. The boomers like are the kiss of death. <laughs> totally. Yeah, the minute your mom goes on, it's kind of like you become uncool. I noticed my son actually... He did, like, one of the aspects of social media that I love is creativity. And um, I've always enjoyed watching what my son can pump out in terms of, like, a fun. He likes to dance and the singing. So TikTok was made for him. But um, I commented with an emoji on one of his, his videos. And, of course, the next thing I know, it, it came down. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> did I embarrass you? But so I think as parents, we have to be super sensitive of, like, why the kid why your kids are on it and he like so he's of age he can use tiktok fine he's 14 almost 15. uh i think that um the one platform that has eluded parents and uh, older people is snapchat and i know that he's still really active on snapchat with his friends so uh i think that uh tiktok right now is experiencing a huge increase in usage and um, I do think that some of the kids will start like thinking it's use, you know, not as fun, and they'll they'll probably morph more over to Snapchat again. Or the other important thing to know is like how kids use social media is really really different than how we use it. So um, a lot of kids use it for the messaging capabilities rather than posting anything. Whereas my Instagram, I absolutely share photos of things that I care about and. When I go for hikes or my garden, 
and I have a whole history of however many years I've been on Instagram for him. He'll post one picture and then remove it. And then maybe six months later, post another picture and then remove it. So they don't use it for that historical timeline. That's super interesting. I'm glad you kind of pointed out. Um, yeah, there, I think lots of times we always think that people use social media in the same way that we do. And, and especially as educators, I think it's important that we recognize um, those differences, especially if we are um, promoting the use of responsible use, I guess, of, of social media um, and just kind of be mindful of the different ways to use it. So yeah, thank you so much for pointing that out. Um, I think, yeah, we should probably move on to our next piece here. So I know this is a little bit uh, the opposite question of the debate. And so um, since it's over, I'm just, uh, I am curious on your thoughts on this. In what ways do you think technology can be detrimental to learning? Yeah, it was uh, this week, Curtis is referring to a debate that we did in our grad class, and I was on the pro side, and um, a couple of, of students uh, were on the against side, and I have to say they did a really, really good job of um, pointing out some of the challenges. So first and foremost, I think that like technology can be detrimental if a teacher doesn't use it effectively. So if they're using it just as a stopgap or, or replacement without really explaining the benefit or the, the power of it, or, or purposefully using it, I think it can be detrimental. I think it can also be detrimental if, um, if teachers don't fully understand what the technology is. And I think a lot of teachers have a resistance to using technology because of their own comfort level. So whether it's something like Seesaw or um, for that matter, you know, any of the other programs that we've been learning about, I, I always feel at the start of a semester when we meet new students in our grad classes, about half the class is very pro-technology and then the other half is there to learn, but they're somewhat resistant. And we definitely have that in this semester as well, which is well and good because it, it keeps us you know, balanced for those of us who are very pro. But um, I think there's other issues that I'm certainly concerned about that um, I know that you guys are very familiar because of your school boards and districts. And that would be around privacy, around the commercialization of, of um, technology like what programs are allowed or is google allowed or not um and yeah i think just being very aware that like just because it's free is it really free what's the cost and typically it is user data yeah those are excellent points um i i know in our school division privacy is a huge 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 um huge thing um and, and just kind of making sure that uh, how do you communicate those privacy concerns with parents uh, that don't necessarily have the the background in tech that we do? So uh, I definitely understand uh, that point for sure. I have a, a question. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Dean, you go ahead. I just, uh, that's a kind of a question for you. I've heard a quote before that says, you know, teachers that use technology uh, will replace those who don't use technology. So as a mom and a parent, and from your perspective, like, do you want, are you happy, like say your son, for example, has a teacher that's infusing technology in the classroom so he can become familiar with how to learn, create, and connect, or does it matter to you whether or not they have that, uh, you know, a, a child has a chance to, um, you know, explore with technology? Oh, it absolutely matters to me. Um, as a parent, like, so with my son being in grade nine and during this pandemic, uh, his his grade nine class is split. He has a teaching pair 
and one is pro technology and one is not. And I can tell you that I, I can see it in his experience of which classes he's more engaged in and which ones he's just doing because she's giving worksheets or multiple choice quizzes. Like she's doing kind of the, probably the bare minimum of what I would consider engaging. Um, but it's what she can do right now because she, um, it's just not her, it's not her background. It's not her comfort level. And I can't help but think like, um, Talk about, are we ever studying the right thing at the right time? We are at this unique place in life where it was forced upon students. And um, it's a shame. I was actually just asking my son, I'm like, what happened to your option classes? Like right now he only has to take the core subjects. And he said, well, I think some are, you know, we could still kind of tap into some of them and put worksheets that we could download. But like that to me again is like, the very basics of online learning. It's actually why I started doing grad studies was um, when I moved to online teaching at the university, uh, all I was taught was how to use the um, learning platform, which for us is D2L. And basically I was told, just upload your PowerPoints, upload a quiz, and um, you know your students will progress and like check in on the discussion boards and that's about it. And I thought like, there's gotta be more. Like, that can't be, it's not the same teaching experience. And I think teachers on the other side must really be missing kids in the classroom. Like how I felt when I first moved to online teaching is like, there's just not that same relationship. So um, I don't know, uh, but in the last year and a half since I've been taking uh, online and blended learning and learning techniques, or even how we as students um, communicate using Zoom or Twitter, I've incorporated using those in my own teaching, and um, it's just su such a richer experience for everybody. Students seem to like it, and I certainly, as an instructor, get much more value. And let's face it, that's why I teach. Yeah, that's, that's huge, and I, I know um, I'm in a position where I, I don't have students, but I know all of my peers who do, and I'm sure Mateo and Dean could probably echo that that is the part, just that face-to-face -face communication um, is a big piece. But um, I feel like um, I don't necessarily know if there's a way that we can replicate that face-to-face -face, um, connection, but I think that there are ways that we can make, um, we can make, um, I don't want to say schoolwork. We can we can make online learning engaging for kids um, through different means. And I know Dean and Mateo have both done that um, very well in um, in what they have done. Well, and I think what we have in common is we're working with older older kids, and certainly I teach adults. But um, like I can't imagine trying to teach kindergarten or like under grade six right now. I think that I think it could be hard. Absolutely. And like, I, I know lots of the teachers that I'm working with, there's so much parent involvement that is needed. Just, you know, like it's, it's a lot of, you know, assisting, getting them online. And, you know, like I, I think lots of those skills will come over time, but just like how you learn to tie your shoes or, or write your name, like you, it takes practice and that's kind of the same skills um, here. So for sure. Well said. Yeah, I mean, this is probably a whole nother topic, but like there's no solid 
like framework or curriculum for for all those digital citizenship skills and digital literacy skills like teachers are hitting them in general like the, the research I'm, i've been looking at lately like yeah like they talk a little bit about privacy but there's there's no you know like there's ribbles nine elements but lots of people don't know about them and you mm-hmm. know like some people are doing it in grade three some people are getting it from their grade five teacher like in my division i know there's a grade seven seven eight teacher who like covers this stuff amazing like he just does it on his own there's no curriculum but um and maybe this is sort of a segue into the next question but like nancy we know we know you got a book like maybe you could tell us more about about that book and how it relates to learning and and classrooms and and, uh, social media yeah so a couple of years ago um i'll tell you why i wrote the book and that was um my son came home from school and he had attended a, a school session with a social media expert and they were kind of talking about all the dangers of the internet. And there was just, you know, my son called me to check me in. And at the end of the day, like he always did. And when he told me that, and he told me all the things, and he was kind of shamed for being on Instagram. The speaker made them stand if they were on Instagram, et cetera. And, and I thought like, okay, uh, that's an interesting approach. Like, so we're, we're kind of scaring kids into like social media isn't all that good. And I asked him, did he point out any of the positives? Like, nope. So I was like, huh, okay. So there was a parent session and he told me I should go. And of course I did. And I listened for like two hours to the speaker. And while every single thing that that speaker said was true, no, there are some dark sides to the internet and we should be cautious and aware of what our kids are doing and things can go badly. Um, I think we just have to also be super aware that there's always another side. And so after listening to this for two hours, I went online and I was really annoyed. I'm like, why can't I find any positive resources? Like everything is skewed so negatively in the media, whether it's screen time is, is a bad thing. And, you know, one of my favorite authors, Simon Sinek compared screen time to cocaine addiction. And I'm like, what? Like, it's not the same. (laughs) Or, um, you know, and on and on it went that I I was uh, really forced into, I started a Facebook group and um, it grew really quickly of people being like, yes, I would love to hear more about this positive side. Or can you, you know, you know firsthand because you work in this, um, tell me what's okay and what's not okay. Or tell me what to be aware of as a parent. And, um, so I started speaking at events on this too. It was like a really timely topic. And uh, so I just, I wrote the book as a resource for people when I, you know, as a leave behind. And one of the key things that I find is um, there's a really big tension point between like a kid's appetite to be online, you know, whether it's uh, to watch videos on YouTube when they're younger or to communicate with their friends as they get older, or to create content of their own, whether it's photos or videos, uh, um, again, as they kind of get older. And this real uncomfortable gap between parents' knowledge of social media. So a lot of people might use Facebook, but you know, quite often I talk to people and they're like, oh, I don't use any social media at all. So when you have that tension between an unknown, you know, as parents, we want to bubble wrap our kids and protect them and make sure that they're safe. And when we hear in the media that this is unsafe, our natural instinct is to to deny it or to say no. When in fact, um, I think like each of us could probably come up with a couple of tangible examples of why social media can be positive. Um, 
for me, simply put, I think that uh, social media is not going away, nor is technology. And the more that we can model and teach our kids how to use it responsibly and um, to make great connections and to find ways to be inspired and learn, uh, the better that they'll be set up for the future. And I think, um, you know, that's what I'm trying to do as a mom, but also um, I'm trying to help other parents understand as well. Yeah, I have a, a kind of a question that popped up um, when we were kind of going through that is where do you, so like, I, I know there, there's lots of teachers and there's lots of um, parents out there. Yeah. That, like you said, they don't use social media and they, they kind of, they don't want to, um, they're either have, you know, the fear of it or that sort of thing. If parents want to get more involved or get more knowledge on that, where is a starting point for them? Like, how do they get into that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I find that um, the parents, so there's two types, there's actually three types of parents. There are the ones who are like enablers. And so they kind of give their kids a phone because they were either maybe guilted into it because all their friends have phones, or maybe they're like at the right age, they're 13 and they get a phone, but their parents just kind of give it to them and like hope for the best. And they don't really talk to their kids about, you know, use or what would it be appropriate or not appropriate. And we like, they don't, they really don't know what their kids are doing online. They're kind of enablers. And then on the other extreme are the parents who maybe really want to control things. You know, they've got that lockdown contract of like what they're allowed to do and not, maybe they have timers on their routers or uh, they're using apps that tell them what their kids are doing exactly online. And then there's the people in the middle and the people in the middle are those ones that are seeking the knowledge. They may not know it, but they want to find out. They have that appetite to like find out more, but they don't know where to turn. So there's kind of two great sites that I always recommend. And one is Common Sense Media. Um, it's a U.S. based company or an organization, not a company. It's actually not for profit. But um, that site is a wealth of information for um, parents on everything to do with technology. So whether it's you want to find reviews on apps or video games to find out if they're appropriate. Um, my son actually just was using it as his convincing to, for me to buy him a video game. And he pointed out, and I forgot that they did this. Uh, reviews are on those sites, not just from like the, the company, Common Sense, but then they have parents and kids give reviews. So it, it's a really balanced perspective. And I, I, I like that a lot. And a, a similar, but they don't have as robust of, of review websites based in Canada is um, Media Smarts. And it's an Ottawa-based organization that does a really great job of, of putting out relevant information that's like They'll have good articles on how to be, um, how to get, spot fake news, etc. So those are two great resources that I would point to. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for sharing those. I know those are two great resources that um, I have used in my teaching. And especially, I feel like as we go on and um, depending in the situations that we um, are in the, the fall, um, that those sites definitely should be on um, teachers' lists to check out just for trying to look at, you know, putting in some digital citizenship into the classroom. So thank you so much for that. Hey, Nancy, sorry, uh, maybe I missed it, but can you say the name of your book again? And, and if somebody would like to find a copy of it, and uh, where would they go for that? Sure. So my website is socialcitizens.ca. 
and you can find the book there. It's also available on Amazon there. Dean Scott, thanks Dean. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's a, it's a quick read. And I think a, a lot of the feedback that I've had from parents is they just like, it's a social citizens, a positive approach to parenting in a digital world. And that's exactly what it is, is I'm trying to show that opposite side of the spectrum of like, it isn't all bad and evil. And I use examples that try to demonstrate to parents of like, remember the first time. And I definitely remember my dad's reluctance to using a bank card for the longest time. And then when he finally caved and realized, oh, this can save me time. And actually my 83 year old mother um, was forced to learn how to direct deposit a check using her app. And now she thinks that's like the greatest thing ever. So, you know, we, we all take our time to adapt and, and um, I guess, integrate technology in our lives. But quite often when we do, it's like that moment of, oh, now I get it. That's why, that's why it's cool. Thanks, Nancy. You're, you're an amazing guest. We'd like to give you the last word of uh, possible. Is there anything else you'd like to add, uh, something with your experience or something you'd like to just, you know, a burning question you'd like to leave people with or uh, something to ponder? I think the number one thing is don't believe the headlines. And that's what media do. Media are trying to attract attention. And so they always go with a lead headline that is salacious and it's going to hook you in and it's going to make you believe that things are way worse than they are. So when it comes to your kids in tech or your kids in social media, um, I, I really strongly encourage you to look at other resources. So, um, you know, Facebook is not evil. Uh, TikTok is not selling our private data to, you know, who are they selling that my kid does music videos? Like, I'm not that concerned. So look for that balanced perspective. And um, the other thing I'd say is, you know, I'm not trying to parent my kid and control everything. I'm trying to raise an adult. So we've got to learn and help our kids gain these skills so that they can make good choices. It doesn't automatically happen on their 18th birthday that they're going to make all the right choices. And believe me, mistakes have been made um, we, you know, with my son, and we work through them. And uh, I think that you know, he's turning out all right. So I hope that all parents can recognize it's not going to be a perfect journey. But together, if you're open to it, uh, you can learn along with your kids. So well said. Um, Nancy Smith, it's been an absolute blessing to have you on behalf of me and Curtis and Dean. Uh, you've been on our list since day one and we just got you. You're a third guest. Um, so it's been so nice having you um, for today's Want you back, Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. You've been listening to 832 Sips, the podcast. I'm Curtis Barassa. I'm Dean Vetterman. I thought I was going to be Mateo. But I, I'm Dean Vetterman. <laughs> and I'm Mateo DiMiro. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Cheers, everybody. Cheers.